Well, I hope you got the message. We're meeting around the table of the Lord today. And uh, so great to join you here. Sorry we can't do this in person. But uh, I hope that you've been able to grab some bread and some drink uh, to share with your family, to do this at home. Um, because this is, uh, this is a central part of the Christian faith. And um, if you haven't got some, please go grab it quickly because we're going to consecrate the bread in your homes and, and the drink in your homes in just a few minutes. Um, so in the Lord's Supper, it's interesting that the line between the physical and the spiritual is kind of blurred. So much so that the church of previous generations has argued sharply over the nature of what this meal is really all about, uh, whether it be transubstantiation or consubstantiation or a memorial service of remembrance or a spiritual presence of Christ in the, in the bread and the wine. Uh, these things have been debated and debated and debated. I'm not going to go through all of that debate, but I'm telling you, it's no small debate. The genuineness of your faith uh, was of uh, people's faith would have been tested by what you believed about this subject. What what does the the bread and wine mean? Uh, and and uh, and if you got it wrong, they would actually kick you out of the church. I mean, that was it. Like you either believed it the way they taught it or or not at all. Uh, and so now uh, the debate has died down a little bit in recent years. Uh, Catholics and Protestants still hold their separate views. Um, they're probably not going to get together on that anytime soon. Um, but what is clear about this meal is that it's special. It's hugely, significantly spiritual. But there's physical elements too. And so trying to figure out which is spiritual and which is physical and how it all connects together... Honestly, it's beyond us. It's a mystery like God himself. Um, and so um, rather than trying to understand all the significance of this, I'd like, us to invite, I'd like to invite us to revel in the wonder of it all, in the mystery of it all. It's a mysterious meal. Um, so I hope that you've got some bread and drink before you. We're going to consecrate it for its holy purpose right now. Father, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for this cup. We ask that you would consecrate both, both here on this table, around the room here, in people's homes, wherever they are, Lord, we ask that you would consecrate uh, this bread uh, so that it might symbolize Jesus Christ to us, that you might be in it in a mysterious, profoundly mysterious way. We pray, Lord, that you will come and present yourself in this food that we are about to partake. Lord, we pray that you would help us to experience the divine presence of Christ as we partake of this food, that we might commune with you directly and you with us. May we hear your voice today, Lord. May we understand your will for us. Lord, we pray that as we study this topic of the bread of life, Lord, we pray that you would bring us into a new understanding of our relationship with you. Um, and finally, Lord, we pray that you would, we would find unity in and through the death of Christ this day. Amen. 
I'm told that uh, Sadhu Sundar Singh, many years ago, was distributing gospel tracts in the central provinces of India. Uh, and he came upon some uh, non-believers who were traveling in a train with him. Uh, and uh, he offered one of the men a copy of John's gospel. And the man grabbed the gospel of John, ripped it up to shreds, and threw it out the window. <laughs> uh, Sundar thought, well, that's the end of that. Uh, but it so happened to be in the providence of God that there was a man who was anxiously seeking for the truth. And he happened to be walking along the tracks. And uh, wouldn't you know it, he picked up one of these little scraps of paper left over from the Bible that was ripped up. And he looked at it. And there, in his own language, were the words, I am the bread of life. He didn't know what that meant. And so he inquired about, about what, what does this mean to some of his friends? And his friends explained to him, oh, that's from that Christian book. You know, don't, don't read that book. That, that'll, that'll, uh, you'll get defiled really, reading that book. The man thought for a moment and said, hmm, I really want to know what this book is all about. Because it has this beautiful phrase, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? And so he bought a copy of the New Testament. And he was shown, uh, so he asked someone, where is this found? And he was shown where it was found. And as he studied the Gospels, the light of Christ flooded into his life. And, um, and he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And he became a preacher of the Gospel all through the central provinces of India. Uh, and so that little tiny bit of paper, through God's Spirit, indeed became the bread of life to this man, satisfying his deepest needs. And so this morning... We are once again invited to satisfy our deepest needs afresh. Don't let the familiarity of the communion table rob you of its great ability to satisfy our deepest desires in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Um, Wow. Talk about satisfying, never hungry again, never thirsty again. And of course, Jesus is not talking about physical hunger or, or thirst. Last week, we talked about the, he, the woman he met at the well and how she under, misunderstood what Jesus said. You know, Jesus said, well, whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. And she's like, oh, well, can I have some of that water <laughs> uh, so I don't have to get thirsty anymore and keep coming back to this well? Uh, of course, Jesus wasn't talking about the physical. The phys- the, and he wasn't talking about physical satisfaction. He was talking about spiritual satisfaction. He was talking about this spring of well of water that was really the Holy Spirit welling up inside a person to take away their quench their, and quench their thirst for righteousness, for honoring God. Uh, just... And satisfying them, just like that guy who found that scrap of paper that had the bread of life written on it. It's my prayer that today we will be refreshed like that once again this morning. Oh, Lord, I need to experience you as the bread of life afresh. Lord, may I never be hungry again. Lord, satisfy my spiritual needs. May my belief in you cause me never to thirst again. But give us today a spring of water welling up in us to eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
So let's explore this verse in its context. John 6:35 is part of a much bigger uh, discussion about bread and satisfaction. Uh, one of these things you have to realize is, is that the book of John was written uh, probably 30, maybe 40 years, or not 40, 25 to 30 years after the other Gospels. So after Mark was written first, then Matthew and Luke, we're not quite sure which was written next, but they came next. But then it was not for another 30 years or so that John writes the book of John. And so John writes kind of differently than the others. The others are called the Synoptic Gospels. And there's some borrowing from each other going on. And they're, they're fairly similar, actually. But John writes his gospel quite differently because he has a different point he's trying to make. He's trying to point out who Jesus is, not just what Jesus does. And so uh, there are th- three of them are our eyewitnesses. Luke is a, uh, a researcher, and he talks, interviews people. I'm sure he interviewed Mary. I'm sure he interviewed Peter. Uh, and, and I'm sure he interviewed others. And that's how he got his information. Um, but one of the interesting things is when John uses the, the, the stories that are found in the other Gospels, he's usually using it to provide a different angle. He doesn't just, these, these, uh, the three Gospels have been around for 30 years. And so he's very familiar with them. And so are, so is the churches. So when John writes, he's not going to repeat what the other Gospel writers have said. No, he's going to add to it or something interesting. So when you find a story in the book of John, that's also in the other, other gospels, you got to wonder, well, why is it in there? And so when we come to John chapter 6, where Jesus is feeding the 5,000, you have to realize that this is in all the gospels. So what is John trying to say that's different in the other gospels? In the other gospels, it's presented on its own, sort of as this big event where Jesus feeds 5,000 people and they're all satisfied and it's amazing and they're all like, whoa, this is amazing. But in John, John kind of keeps the story going and connects other parts of Christ's teaching with that story. Um, And so in John chapter 5, Jesus is healing this guy on the Sabbath. Religious people get upset, all bent out of shape, and they're like, why are you breaking the law of Moses? Go heal on some other day. And Jesus retorts, Oh, do not think that I will accuse you before my father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Now, you might be wondering, well, when did Moses write about Jesus? Well, surely Jesus was thinking about Deuteronomy chapter 18, where Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and he, you must listen to him. The Lord said, I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. And so this prophecy that there's going to come a prophet someday that will tell the Israelites that will be similar to Moses. Uh, and so John is deliberately showing there's this connection between Moses and Jesus, and particularly Jesus feeding the 5,000, he's showing that it's, it's kind of connected to Moses providing manna in the wilderness. And you'll see that come out uh, 
The connection was fairly obvious, actually. The crowd of Jews, they saw the correlation immediately. Uh, and in, uh, a little later on the verse, it says, after being fed the, the bread miraculously, they said, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. Notice they didn't say, surely this is the Messiah. They're referring to this very same uh, passage in Deuteronomy, that it was the prophet who was like Moses. They got it in feeding 5,000 men plus uh, women and children with a few loaves and fish. Jesus fulfilled this messianic promise. And John also points out that Jesus, uh, in verse 3, Jesus goes, went up on the mountainside, uh, just much like Moses going up to the mountain to hear the word of God. Another parallel is verse 4. He, it says, the Jewish Pas Passover feast was near. Now you got to wonder, like, John, John is about to tell this story about Jesus, you know, feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and three fish. He's writing 50 to 60 years after it happened. Why does he add the Jewish Passover feast was near? Like, what does that have to do with the story? Oh, it has everything to do with the story. It's, the story is the Jewish Passover feast. The story is about the sacrifice of the lamb. It's the story about the bread of life. Uh, and so uh, John is telling us that there's a connection here, just in this simple little phrase in verse 4. Um, so the rest of the chapter bears it out very much. You see, John has a more in-depth understanding of what Jesus was doing when he fed the 5,000 than the synoptic gospels. John understands that this wasn't some just cool miracle. Uh, no, this was an incredible message tied to Israel's past through, through Moses when he supplied, when God supplied bread through Moses uh, from heaven, tied to the Passover meal, and also tied to the future where, when Jesus is going to give his life for the people, and Jesus would institute this meal, the Lord's Supper. Uh, and he would say that he's the true bread from heaven, commemorated in the Last Supper. And so when the people said, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world, you start to get the idea that they're believing in Jesus. But they were believing in a miracle worker, not a soul saver. They didn't quite get it right. They saw this wonderful miracle worker and that gave them free bread. And they're like, oh, this must be the prophet that was talked about. But notice in verse 15 that John says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Isn't that interesting? They believed he was the prophet, but they wanted it their way. They wanted to make this prophet their king so that he could provide bread for them. Um, and so Jesus was looking for followers, but he wasn't looking for followers who just wanted their hunger. He wanted followers who had a hunger for spiritual blessings. And I have to ask us today, and this is the main point I want to make today. Are you hungering and thirsting after righteousness, or are you hungering and thirsting for whatever God can give you for the day? It's interesting that, that Jesus wanted to get away from this crowd. In fact, he had crossed the lake to get away from the crowd, but they found him anyways. Uh, and then he feeds them. 
And now, now he's trying to get away, away again. And he kind of pulls a fast one on them. <laughs> he sends the disciples out in the boat. And the people see the disciples leaving in the boat. There's no more boats left. And so in the middle of the night, Jesus pulls a fast one. And he goes and walks across the lake. You know, so that nobody knew where he was going. And so check out what happens in the morning. The next day, the crowd that they're staying on the opposite shore of the lake, they realize there's only one boat had been there and that Jesus has not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. And, and then some boats came from Tiberias, landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after Jesus gave thanks. And, what, once the, and they said, well, Jesus is not here. And once the crowd that realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats, went to Capernaum in search for Jesus. Isn't this amazing? Here these people are searching for Jesus. I mean, the Bible says that if we search for God with all our hearts, we will find him. Praise God. Jesus said that he came to seek and save sinners of those who were lost. So this is awesome. These folks are searching for Jesus. They want to find Jesus. Only thing is, Jesus didn't think much of it. He wasn't impressed by their search for him at all. And check out what he says. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They're all confused. Like, how did you get here? When did you get here? Like, how did this happen? We didn't see you leaving the boat. Like, of course, he doesn't, they didn't count on, you know, walking on water transportation. They're, they're a little confused. And, uh, But Jesus knows the human heart, and he says this. Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because of that you saw miraculous signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Basically, Jesus was saying, yeah, you know, getting a full stomach... That's why you've come back. But that's not what I've come to give you. I've come to give you something much more important. Um, You know, have you ever fallen into that trap of seeking God for the material things that he can give you? I fell into that this week. I I was looking for my keys. I I do this a lot. In fact, on my keychain, I have this little, uh, little tile thing that helps me to find my keys. My phone will find my keys for me. It's really cool. Well, I couldn't find my keys. And I looked everywhere. And finally, I got my phone out, and I was checking everywhere with my phone. Is Are the keys here? Are they here? Are they? No, I couldn't find them. Couldn't find them anywhere. And finally, in desperation, after looking for like an hour, <laughs> I looked everywhere. Finally, in desperation, I said, Lord, I'd really like to get home. Uh, I need my keys to get home, and I'm an hour away from home, and uh, Lord, I, I would just really like if you could help me find my keys. You know what the immediate thought was? So this is the first time you're praying to me, Bill, and that's what you asked for, your keys? Oh, what a rebuke. I hadn't talked to God yet that day. I was busy. I was doing stuff. And the Lord rebuked me. He says, what, are you coming to me just for the material, just so I I can help you find your your keys? By the way, they're over on the nightstand, right where you left them. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Lord. He's so gracious. I don't understand why he does that. But, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, it's embarrassing. 
Instead of abiding in Christ, I was just seeking Him for what He could give me. Uh, you know, this is the main problem with the prosperity gospel that's being preached all over the place. It's focused on the material. It's a focused on what God will bless us with. Oh, sure, they talk about spiritual blessings, but they also talk a lot about prospering financially and being in good health. And certainly, God loves us. And certainly, God wants to prosper us. And certainly, God wants to give you good health. But my friends, these are merely byproducts of being His child. And the prosperity and health that God wants to give us may very well be the prosperity of your soul and your spirit. And yes, he wants to prosper you in other ways as well. But guess what? God knows that our penchant for, for the physical, that we are way too easily drawn into this realm of physical blessings from God and, and to the neglect of all the spiritual blessings. God knows us. That he knows that this is, he made us. We're pretty fear, spirit, sorry, we're pretty physical focused. Uh, and honestly, we, can't, we simply can't handle a message that talks about God wanting to give us wealth. We're like, oh, really? Oh, wow, that'd be great. You know? we, we immediately get sidetracked. God calls us to be satisfied for hungering and thirsting after him. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen. God wants us to seek power, his power, so that we can live righteous lives. This is what it's all about. This is the spiritual blessing that he wants to pour into our lives this morning during this communion meal. Now, the Jews in Jesus' day, they kind of feigned interest in the spirituality. They asked him, well, what what are we to do? What works does God require us to do? And so they were like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we get it. What does God want us to do? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. But their response betrays their motive. They asked Jesus, Oh, what sign will you give us that we might see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. To eat. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. I mean, talk about a blatant uh, uh, hint that they would like to be fed. And isn't that like us today? God sends his son to die on the cross to show us his love. But we want him to prove his love for us, finding our keys, healing us, doing a miraculous sign. Ultimately, no matter what sign he gives us, it's never enough. You know, I have seen hundreds of miracles in my life, hundreds, literally, uh, from finding keys to being healed of a cracked rib. I mean, so many miracles I've seen. And yet, you know what? I have to admit I'd like to just do, you know, God, can you just do one really big one just to confirm my faith? My faith is still weak, even though I've seen all these miracles. Like, what is wrong with me? I I don't get it. I mean, the people here, they're asking Jesus for a miraculous sign. The day before, he had done that very thing. He had given them bread, miraculously. I love what Jesus says about Lazarus, the, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. You know, and the, the rich man's in hell, and he's asked, asked Abraham to send uh, someone to, 
Lazarus to, to rise from the dead, to talk to his brothers, to convince them to, that they need to, to believe in God. And uh, Jesus said that, that Abraham said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. You know, sometimes I, I kind of doubt that. I'm just like, oh, no, come on. People will believe it if someone rose from the dead. But you know what? If people don't believe, they will explain away the miracle. They, that's just what they do. Even this miracle of feeding the 5,000, today people explain that away. Oh, well, what really happened was the boy decided to share his lunch. And everybody else went, oh, look at that. The boy's sharing his lunch. Isn't that wonderful? We should share our lunches too. And everybody shared their lunches. And then everybody had enough. What hogwash. <laughs> That's not how the four Gospels record it. They wouldn't record it as a miracle if it wasn't a miracle. Uh, but people just won't believe. They just go, you know what? There's, there's got to be another miracle. Just give me one more miracle and then I'll believe. And so they ask for a second sign. And instead of the... Uh, leaving them with just or giving them another sign he leaves them with the one sign that they received and then he ups the ante (laughs) he really gets to the point he says to them very truly I tell you it's not Moses who's giving you bread from heaven it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is the for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world And they still don't get it. And they're like, sir, can you give us this bread? They're still looking for a handout. (laughs) And Jesus drops the bomb. And he declares, I, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and you still don't believe You know, this is the first of Christ's declarations. I am. He has seven declarations in the book of John. I am the bread of life. And he he gives many more. He's declaring himself to be God. And he's also declaring himself to be the one that will satisfy their needs. Uh, One of the themes of the book of John is who Jesus is, not just what he did. And so... John opens his book with this expression of Jesus as as deity. Um, And when he says, I am, he's making this claim to be the God that Moses uh, met at the burning bush. When God revealed himself, Moses says to him, who are you? And he says, I am that I am. And he's saying, I've always existed. I'm self-existent. And so salvation... And, and a relationship with the Lord is like the, the bread. Bread is sort of like the, uh, the main staple in almost every culture of eating. It's not like a sweet that is, you know, an extra. Or it's not like, you know, m- meat or something that uh, you can survive without, but it's really nice. Uh, bread is sort of like the stable, the most stable thing. And so salvation is the thing that is essential. Um, And Jesus goes on to explain that all the people that 
God will give him, will come to him. And he's saying, but you know, clearly you guys are not the ones God is calling. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus promises that they will be raised up in the last day. Um, so then the Jews are like, how can he say that he's the bread of life that came down from heaven? Isn't this Jesus, uh, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he be saying, I came down from heaven? And Jesus says, stop grumbling about yourself. He, he answered, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. And he talks about, it is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. In other words, he's declaring himself to be God again. Um, Verily, verily, I say to you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. My bread, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And then the Jews are like arguing amongst us. How can this man say he's going to give his flesh to eat? And then Jesus pushes the image and he says to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I mean, can you imagine these upright Jewish people? It sounds like Jesus is saying cannibalism is the way to go, you know? And they're just like, what? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as living, the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. <laughs> Can you imagine the response to this? People are like, oh, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept that? I mean, we've got to eat this guy's flesh and drink his blood? That's disgusting. Like, they're, they're all discussing this amongst themselves, and they're like grumbling about it. And Jesus says to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit of life. In other words, he's saying this is spiritual, yet some of you don't believe. And and so from this time, a lot of the disciples turned away. And, and Jesus asked his disciples, are you guys going to turn away too? And, and Peter pipes up, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So even with this really strange and difficult teaching, Peter's still like, no, we know. We get it. We know that you're God. And, and so Jesus was expressing that his body would be broken for us his blood would be spilt for us and we need to participate in that event in order to have eternal life in order in order to get to heaven to live forever we need to experience the eating of christ's death the drinking of christ's death and so it's like i'm inviting you into the twilight zone here so to speak the area where the, the line between the physical, the, these physical elements is blurred. 
And we recognize that somewhere in here is this spiritual reality that we actually partake of Jesus Christ in his death, in his suffering, and drink of his death in the cup that represents his blood. This is Maccabee. This is like horrid. It, it, it's revulsion to us to eat people's flesh and drink people's blood. And yet Jesus says, that's where the spiritual life is. It's when you really understand that you are in me and that you died in me to sin and that you've rise, you rose again from the dead and you live a new life. This is what it's all about. So we're going to come to this table right now, and, I, and I'm going to share the words that I often share uh, for communion. But I'm going to leave the rest up to you, okay? After all, the Bible calls you priests, a holy priesthood. So you're a priest. And so if you're a, a father or mother, a, a spiritual leader in your family, be the priest to your family at this time. And so I'm going to ask you to give thanks for the bread. I'm going to ask you to spend some time with Christ. Have you been seeking him for the material benefits, finding your keys, getting your food, the physical things? Or have has that been your, your focus, material blessing, like a sugar daddy in the sky? Or maybe you need to confess, like I did, your failure in abiding in Christ. And maybe ask God to, to help you to be in the spiritual realm. And so I, I want you to commune with God as his child and as his priest. Okay? I'm going to give you about four minutes to do that silently. Um, if you need more time, just hit mute on your computer and, and uh, you'll mute out, sorry, sorry, the worship team or whatever. But, uh, but just spend some time with the Lord, okay? This is what Jesus or Paul expressed. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant, which is in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's please give thanks. Please serve the people around you. Spend time in communion with the Lord.